Ratchet uh, episode of the Worldwide Wednesday Podcast. I am your co-host, Sovereign. And I'm Shiny. And we apologize for not hosting Worldwide Wednesday on a Wednesday. Unfortunately, we had a bit of a, thankfully, false COVID scare, and we got test tested and everything, so now we're ready to step back in and host the show for you today. Yep. This should be a li- little bit more of a calmer show today. Not much happened politically that's still relevant as this week, but a lot of stuff in media that we really do want to talk about. Yes, and I want to hop right into it because we have a video hot off the presses from the Pokemon Company. Our first segment will be on the reveal of Hisuian Voltorb. Which I'll let you take the lead because you clearly have more to, to say about this one than I do. So, we're getting Hisuian Voltorb. It's another regional variant of a Kanto Pokemon. So, I mean, at this point, I think we should expect by this point, if we're going to do regional variants in different regions, Kanto Pokemon are probably going to get prioritized more. But it's good to see that we're getting Hisuian Voltorb. It is a grass electric type. And if my knowledge is correct, the only Pokemon with that typing is Rotom Cut. So this is really interesting. Getting a Grass Electric type, presumably if it keeps, presumably if Electrode is its evolution, which if you've been following any leaks, it looks very likely that we'll get a Hisuian Electrode that will also be Grass Electric. If it has the speed stat of a regular Electrode, this will be really interesting. If anything, I think they're going to cut back on the speed maybe a little bit to boost other stats. I feel like, if anything, its defense would have to be higher because it looks wooden. Yeah. Versus, I guess, the flesh that is a regular Voltorb. I don't don't want to think about that. (laughs) Yeah, you never really think about the fact that Voltorb has flesh. Moving on. But But, you're right in saying that it's good to see more Kanto, because at this point, what what have we seen? We've seen two Unovan Pokemon. As far as Kanto, we've gotten... Growlithe. Growlithe, we've gotten Cleavor. Um, Yeah, we have Growlithe and Cleavor, and now Hisui and Voltorb. We have Weird Ear representing Johto. We're having... uh, Hisuian Zoroark, and we're having um, so Basculesian so for a Gen 5. So four, you know, the Pokemon, not two. Yeah, for a Gen 5. Um, if we're going by the leaks that are coming out, we're getting a Hisuian Basculin, which will stay pure water type. Yeah, which honestly, I mean, we got Basculesian, makes sense. But it'd be interesting because Hisuian Basculin shares the same type as the Red Stripe and Blue Stripe Basculin. Yeah. So it's literally just a third Vasculin with the water type, different abilities in different moveset. <laughs> That's going to be a headache for competitive players. Oh boy. Because you're going to be like, oh, it's a Vasculin. Wait a minute. Is this the one that can run Eviolite or is this the one that's going to run Choice Band Head Smash? <laughs> but. That's really interesting. Um, another thing that, if the leaks are correct, we are going to get. A fourth genie. The one to round out. So, if you know anything about traditional uh, Chinese mythology, which I'm assuming you don't, there's apparently these five great guardians, and apparently the genies in Gen 5 are based off of that. We had Tornadus and Thunderous, and then we had Landorus, and we're apparently getting a fourth one, which is supposed to be Fairy flying. 
And in Chinese legend, there's a fifth one. I don't know if we'll ever get that, but we're getting a fourth genie. Better be just as muscular as the other ones. Oh, I imagine it probably will be. Which, if this is true, what do you think of the idea that they're going back and adding new Pokemon to pre-existing, like, ev to pre-existing legendary, like, groupings? Because we got Regidrago and Regieleki adding now two Poke two more Regis to the Regi Quartet, now making a Regi, what is it, a, a sextuplet? Yeah. Yeah, and we have the Galarian Legendary Birds also making the Legendary Birds a sextuplet. Well, what do you like this idea? What do you think of this idea of adding new legendaries to pre-established groups? Well, the easy answer, of course, is that they're being lazy. I, thankfully, do not subscribe to this opinion. I think that it's a wonderful idea and adds a lot of variety to the universe, especially because we are touching on the past, like, legitimate evolution, not evolution as Pokemon has coined it, but, like, as Pokemon yeah. evolved through time. Yeah. It could be interesting, I would say. Yeah, I really like it. I want to know what this means lore-wise, though. If we're getting a new... It's called the Forces of Nature. So if we're getting a new Force of Nature, does it have a Therian form? It better. Because the other three have Therian forms, and if this is supposed to join them, it'll have another... We'll get, we'll be getting two forms, one that's fairy, one that's fairy flying, the other fairy flying, but with different abilities and typings. Yeah. Which will be really interesting. Fairy flying is... Have we had a Pokemon that's fairy flying? Togekiss. Togekiss. It's an interesting typing. I only remember, remember that because I want to battle against my siblings. And that's the one Pokemon I'm going to uh, use because no one has an answer to Serene Grace Razor Fang. Why don't you just use Scopelens? Come on, Air Slash. Yeah. Scopelands. But you gotta get those extra flinch. Come on. Fine. Fine. You, you gotta make sure that you tick them off as much as possible with that 60% flinch rate. Fine. <laughs> but I really like this idea that they're having by adding new um, legendaries. Because the other rumors that I've heard is that we're getting another Ultra Beast. Which, I mean, if we're dealing with Arceus, then we're potentially dealing with some form of portals, because, let's be honest here, Dialga, Palkia, and Giratina are definitely going to be in this game. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely going to be in this game. Which means we may get another Ultra Beast, according to this, and Hisuian Johto. The Hisuian Legendary Dogs. That is a lot. I think I said before that I was a little hesitant to that one, and I think I'm gonna keep my... That one, I don't think it's gonna happen. That one I'm gonna stay reserved on, because I think, like, back in, like, our second episode, I said I wasn't too fond of that idea. Yeah, I... I mean, I'm gonna stay... I'm gonna... I'm gonna stay firm on my position. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna happen. Um, that's one of those out there ones. The main thing that people have been talking about is that we're gonna get a... I believe it is a Steel Dragon Hisuian Gudra. I wonder how they would handle that, considering, like... The only other Pokemon with that typing is Duraludon and Dialga. Yeah. I'm more thinking design-wise. Yeah, I am thinking. Actually... Because for most, uh, like, region variants, they still stay true to, like, what they, their origin or their namesake is. Yeah, so... Well, it could be Liquid Metal. Like, Liquid Metal a la Melmetal. Or, or Molten Metal. Yeah. 
Um, actually, so I have um, so I have the list of what things are supposed to be. So we're gonna get a grass fighting type decidueye. Thoughts? Again, I said this before as well. I'm really hesitant to getting more um, forms for starters. For starters, yeah. I think at this point, every source that I've been looking at has said that the starters are gonna do it. Especially considering, like, you don't really see much of Ash Greninja anymore. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not like super hyped up anymore. Yeah, and it'll probably return in Gen Nine. Yeah, but we don't even see it like allowed and competitive anymore. That was because it's an event mod. Yeah, and they just don't allow event mods because of the fact that not everyone can obtain it. Yeah, yeah. If, if you consider it a mythical, sure. No, they spec they specify that it's considered not... an event mod. They yeah. because um. Basically, the rules with VGC is why mythicals are never allowed is because they're always tied to events, and since events are time-based and competitive is technically not, they will never allow you to use any mythicals because technically not everyone can get it. Which still doesn't explain why Deoxys isn't available back in VGC 2016, yeah. because Deoxys is available to anyone with Auras. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> so we have Grass Fighting Decidueye. Then we have Fire Ghost Typhlosion and Water Dark Samurai. Yeah, for the solo types, I'm a little more open, but still very hesitant. I like that they're going with the Fire Ghost Dark trio. But I really wish we would get a... I really wish we would get some form of a starter trio where... They'd have the typical fire, water, grass trio, but their subtypings would make them stronger against their weaker types as well. So say we have a grass rock type, we should have a fire flying type and a water fighting type. Like, what would you think about that? Like, I wish they'd do something like that, where like all three can are hurt by each other but also resist each other in different ways. Because a water, like a um, a water fighting type is going to get absolutely demolished by the flying type, but resist the fire. The only difference is that the grass rock type will take neutral damage from water. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm open to the idea. My only concern would be that it would limit, like, the imagination of, like... <clears throat> Of the designers of the Pokemon, but then again, at the same time, um, impediments um, can like catalyze certain elements of innovation. So, yes. Yeah. So after we have the three, we have um, Hisui and Growlithe and Arcanine being Fire Rock, which yeah, we which know that we know that Growlithe is Fire Rock, so it's it's reasonable to say that Arcanine would also be Fire Rock. Um. Voltorb Electrode, obviously Grass Electric. We just saw Voltorb being Grass Electric. I would say that Electrode being Grass Electric is pretty a pretty good, like, reasonable guess. Cleavar, obviously Bug Rock. Hisui and Quillfish, Steel. And a separate evolution for Quillfish also being Steel. Just Mono Steel? Mono Steel. Huh. I could see that working as kind of like a... More of a um, a mine. A mine. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes. 
Um, I really like it. I wonder if they're going to reuse the design from the 1991 Space World beta of the Quillfish Evolution. Have you seen it? I have not. So the Space World beta got the Space World 1991 beta, not 1991, 1999 got um, leaked. And they showed off a whole bunch of Pokemon that would have evolutions that are originally supposed to have in gold and silver, but it never got cut. Quillfish was one of them, and it's basically just a bigger fish, but, like, a goofy eyes and giant lips. And it had, like, a little bit of an electric symbol on its head, assuming that it was going to be, I think, water electric. But I wonder if they'll reuse that. That could be interesting. Yeah, next up we're getting is Poison Fighting Sneasel in a separate Sneasel evolution. Hmm. Poison Fighting is an interesting type, because I believe the only Pokemon that has it is Toxicroak. Yeah. And Which means it'll still be quadruple weak to Psychic, of course. Obviously, but this is still solid typing. You'll definitely be able to handle Fairies. Yeah. And you'll handle Steel types, which are be because you're Fighting type. You'll be able to destroy Grass types still. Um... I think Sneasel with a, if assuming it keeps the the Sneasel line's massive speed and attack tacks, massive speed and attack stats, I think it would work really well. They might just swap the attack and speed stat, make it more of an attacker. That'd be really good because, I mean, if we give it Poison Jab, Close Combat, um, Mock Punch, mock punch um, just just give it some good physical coverage to have it give it decent attack and speed maybe some form of like good hp or special bulk and that thing will run wild yeah i think that'd be really cool um we're getting an ursaring relative so not exactly ursaring but teddy ursa will evolve into a different pokemon okay so more of a split evolution as yes which i find really interesting because so far We've seen Alpha Pokemon in Legends Arceus, and all Alpha Pokemon are fully evolved Pokemon. And we've seen Ursaring as an Alpha Pokemon. So the idea that we're getting Ursaring proper and an Ursaring relative is really interesting. Because, I mean, it's just weird. They tell us that fully evolved Pokemon are Alpha Pokemon, and they explicitly show Ursaring, but we're also getting another part of this evolutionary line. Yeah. I mean, either way, I'm open to new Pokemon. I'm always open to new Pokemon. I just find it interesting. Uh, next up is Weirdear, obviously. Normal Psychic, as we saw. Now, here is a trio of interesting Pokemon. Dialga Origin Form, Palkia Origin Form, and Arceus Origin Form. All retaining their, norm their regular typings, just as Giratina Origin did. Now, do you think... Now, here's immediately what my mind goes to upon hearing that. Do you think they'll use the same... Um, or they'll use some aspects of the form we see in um, Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Explorers of Sky, Time, and Darkness. I would hope, especially for Dialga. Everyone has been asking for Primal Dialga to come to Pokemon. That and, I believe Primal Dialga and Shadow Lugia are like the two like game-exclusive forms that everyone wants to see return. Oh yeah, you have no idea how many how much Pokemon Go players were disappointed by Shadow Lugia not looking like its original form. <laughs> exactly. I mean, understandably so. So, I really hope that we get aspects of this. 
The one thing I'm afraid of is that the reason why they won't do it is because Primal Dialga's Japanese translation is Dark Dialga. And it's supposed to be Dialga being evil, while this is an origin form. Yeah. I really hope we do get design aspects from it, but I'm not holding my breath. Maybe it could be translated to, like, Corrupted Dialga or something like that. Maybe. But... Yeah, origin form, Dialga and Palkia, I'm assuming you're going to use the Adamant and Lustrous Orbs, just as how Giratina uses Grecia's Orb. But what do you think of it? Origin form, Arceus. How is that going to... Wait. We don't have a normal plate. Yeah, we don't. Maybe that's going to be the item for how Arceus gets its origin form. Yeah. Or... I really want an aspect of where they give a pal or Arceus a thousand hands. It's in several Pokedex entries. Give Arceus a thousand hands. Maybe that's what Arceus origin form will be. Because that has been in the Pokedex for how long now that Arceus has had a thousand hands? Ever since it first debuted in, exactly. in Diamond and Pearl. Exactly. So, I mean, some people have theorized that the a thousand hands are just the unknown. Don't tease me like that. Don't you dare tease me like that. I mean, it's been a theory for a while, ever since we've seen the Rise of Darkrai, where the space in between Dialga and Palkia's realms were, realms were unknown. It's been teased since then that potentially it's the unknown. Because we also see it in the um, the event at the Shinjo Ruins in HeartGold and SoulSilver, where when you bring um, Arceus to the mystery stage in the Shinjo Ruins, unknowns start to appear when it creates an egg for you. Yeah. So maybe a thousand arms are just unknown. Yeah, that'd be kind of disappointing, but whatever. Yeah. Next up, we have Basculine Pink, which, I guess. Sure. I guess makes sense. Maybe it's a hot pink to resemble the color scheme we've seen with Bas Basculation. Yeah, it's a water type, obviously. Yeah, because we have Red Stripe and Blue Stripe right now. I just want to know what abilities it's going to get. Because Red Stripe gets Rockhead, Blue Stripe gets Adaptability. I wonder what this one's going to get. Hopefully it's not a bad ability. Because Rockhead and Adaptability are two great abilities. I just hope for not another Intimidator. <laughs> oh, God. And then we obviously get Basculegion. Yeah. That's what I'm really worried about, getting Intimidate. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, next we have Zorua and Zorak as normal Ghost types. Which is but, probably the biggest reveal that we've seen so far. Yes. We're getting uh, Braviary, Psychic Flying, we've already seen. Now, here's the interesting one. This is a first-time type combination. Hisuian Lilligant. Grass Fire. You we've have never had a Grass Fire type before. Yeah, no, that's a first one. What do you think? I think of all Pokemon to be Grass Fire... I think Lilligant is a good option to make it one. Yeah. It is a chlorophyllmon, and it's definitely one that gives off, like, I don't know, the vibe that it could be a part fire type if you changed it up. That's an easy one to give fiery dance to. Oh, God. I didn't even realize that. Uh, you, you do realize that, because it's a dance. It, it, it has pedal dance. Give it the ability dance. Quiver dance. Pedal dance. Dragon Dance, Fiery Dance, uh, what is it? The, the Tweeter Dance? Or the, the, the yeah. one that confuses you? Yeah. Teeter Dance? Oh, God. Oh, God. Which I'm pretty sure it already has Teeter Dance. I'm pretty sure it already has Teeter Dance, Pedal Dance, and Quiver Dance. 
Yeah. Just give it Dragon Dance and Fiery Dance. I don't think it's going to get Dragon Dance, but Fiery Dance is a definite. Listen, if Dunsparce can get Dragon Dance, Lilligan can get Dragon Dance. What other moves have Dance in it? I think that's pretty much it. That would be actually pretty wild. Yeah. What would what would this thing's stats be? Well, maybe it'd be a variation of regular Lilligan stats, obviously. But what would it prioritize as a grass fire type? Maybe it'd give it a little more speed to take from its attack. Yeah. Because the original was pretty slow. Yeah. What if it's what if it still gets chlorophyll? We would finally have a sun-based Pokemon that has chlorophyll that also benefits from the sun on stab. See, whenever I run Lilligan, I always run own tempo. Is it own tempo that prevents confusion? Yes. Yeah, because Petal Dance spam was pretty good in the, in the tiers that it, it resides in. Yeah, but imagine chlorophyll grass fire. That thing is firing off overheats in the sun, boosted by stab, and you can't outspeed it. Yeah. That'd actually be pretty good. It would actually give Sun, like, a real, a real abuser. That'd be pretty crazy. Or even if it's given Flame Charge. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. If it's a physical attacker, Flame Charge would be right at home. Yeah. Um, other Pokemon we have is uh, the Turtle. Is um, So the the fourth force of nature is going to be like a turtle it's going to have a turtle aesthetic but it'll be fairy flying hmm. just make it a muscular turtle please just make it look similar or maybe that's the therian form yeah maybe the therian form is the turtle that could work yeah uh gumi slagoo and gudra are dragon steel and last but not least ice rock avalog this is a disappointment yeah, especially considering like that's a triple fighting type weakness and double or no Ice quadruple. Rock. Yeah, quadruple. Yeah, sorry, quadruple. It which considering the original Avalog's uh, defense stat is enormous, this is kind of a detriment to him. It's really disappointing because Ice Rock is a terrible typing. You're weak to you're. Quadruple weak to fighting, you're quadruple weak to steel, you get destroyed by water, you don't like grass-type moves. Rock as well. You get destroyed by rock as well. Ground. Ground-types destroy you if they're faster than you, and if you're Avalog, you're slow as sin, so yes, you will get destroyed. You mean the only thing you threaten are slow dragons and slow grasses and slow rounds. But Avalog is so slow that that list is so small. Yeah. I am really if this is true and it's rock ice instead of ice steel, I'm going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Because the running theory about Avalog, its Hisuian form is that it's going to be based off of an aircraft carrier. And if it's an aircraft carrier, why on earth is it rock? I mean Aurorus. It's Aurora's saving grace. Which, that is very weird, considering that the time, or the the time that the Hisuian region is set in. It, I find that kind of a strange inspiration. It is very strange, but Rodom exists in this time period. 
Fair enough. I mean, technology isn't foreign, but at the same time, it's yeah. like it's not super advanced to what we see in current day Pokemon. Yeah. So this is just I'm I'm gonna be really disappointed because I mean Aurorus is our resident ice rock type, and it's only saving grace is the fact that a snowboarding Aurora Veil. Yeah. Outside of that, and before and, I got those things, it was trash. And Ninetales does its job way better. Yeah, Ninetales is just better because it also has a better typing. It's Ice Fairy. Yeah. Ice Fairy is just a better typing because you're not weak to fighting. And also you're likely to go first. Exactly, because Ninetales is fast. Yeah. This is just, oh my god. Of all the Hisuian forms, this is the one I'm looking forward to the least if it's true. Does that round out the list of everything that uh, was in the leaks? Yes. The other big thing is that Arceus is a post-game 100% boss fight. I, meaning, to fight Arceus, you need to 100% the game. Jeez. Well, that should be fun. Yes. That is what I've heard. I've also heard that you're going to have a lot of quests to do. Like, a lot of quests. Like, the quests are going to be kind of like Pokemon Go-esque quests in some ways. In the sense where it'll be like, can you catch three Wurmple for me? Type things. Oh, so a bunch of side quests. Yeah, but they will add up in terms of your resources that you'll need. Because according to leaks, you're going to need a lot of resources to fight bosses. Like, apparently the bosses in this game are going to destroy you if you don't have proper resource management. Hmm. I so how that works. Yeah, I do wonder how that works because we know that you will die in quotation marks if you encounter wild Pokemon that are far stronger than you. Because not only will they knock out your Pokemon, they will also knock you out. And it's not like your main character in a regular Pokemon game that faints because they lost a battle. This is more like, you fainted because Ursaring punched you into a fucking wall. Or Hansgro picked you up and dropped you out of the fucking sky. <sighs> Overall, uh, like, this game is apparently supposed to be, like, more Monster Hunter than anything else. Which I really like. Because my, my, big, future, my big thing for Generation 9 that I really want is I want them to combine the best aspects of every Pokemon generation. And I think Generation 8 was the most experimental in a lot of ways in terms of movement between the Wild Area, the Isle of Armor, Crown Tundra, and now Legends Arceus. We have so much freedom of mobility and the way to interact with Pokemon on the overworld. Like, let's go, um, let's go Pikachu and Eevee was the proof of concept of having Pokemon appear in the overworld. And then Sword and Shield came out, and they were like, yes, we can make this work in a traditional Pokemon game. And now Legends Arceus is like, great, we know we can do it in a limited format. We know we can do it in a traditional format. Now let's try this in a new format. Yeah. Which I think the closest to... I mean, there is no resemblance in the modern Pokemon games to what Legends Arceus is going to give us. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's only uphill from here, especially with people over-exaggerating their disappointment with Sword and Shield. But, I mean, Sword and Shield is one of the best-selling Pokemon games of all time. Yeah, I mean, no matter how much people complain, it's still sold like crazy. Yeah. And in my opinion, like, it probably is going to be the foundation of Pokemon games to come. Yeah. Because 
I mean, Pokemon really didn't struggle with their primary. This is the first time that they've ever originated uh, a game on a console and yeah. kind of getting a little bit of backlash yeah. because people were hyped for X and Y, even though X and Y is kind of looked down upon as uh, time goes on. Uh, no, 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 no. You know the cycle of Pokemon fans. Hated, underrated, loved. Yeah. And X and Y is now going through that underrated phase. That black and white just got out of. Yeah. Everyone's now saying, man, X and Y, they were such underrated games. Oras, Oras were some underrated remakes. We're already on that part of the cycle. No, Oras is not, um, it should not be considered underrated. Oras was great, especially with the Delta episode. Oh, no, Oras, in my opinion. I, I would say of all of the games that were to originate on a new console, I would, or a console or portable, X and Y was probably the weakest. Diamond and Pearl, of course, just got the remake. Diamond and Pearl was fantastic. Yeah. Ruby and or Ruby and Sapphire for the Game Boy Advance was pretty good. Was pretty good. Gold and Silver. Well, it's an improvement over the glitchy mess that Gen One was. Yeah. But, but that level curve and Pokemon distribution is absurd. Yeah, I mean, considering that it came out to start the Game Boy Color out. Yeah. It was still pretty good. It was still pretty good. Especially considering, oh yeah, Gen 1 was a complete mess. Yeah. Gen 1 was a glitchy mess, but it's the glitchy mess that we all love. Gen 2 improved on things, but um, the level curve and Pokemon distribution were completely abhorrent. Um, Gen 3 was the first one to really give us like some form of story and bring in a lot of the modern things we know, such as... Um, Abilities yeah. and natures, which are really good. Oh, and held items. Can't. No, no, we had held items in Gen 2. Yeah. No, but it gave us abilities. Gen 4 gave us the physical special split that we've all been waiting for. And then Gen 5 gave us hidden abilities. Gen 6 gave us megas. Gen 7 gave us Z-moves. Gen 8 gave us Dynamax. Yeah. Which really want... I am fearful for a meta where all three of those are allowed in at the same time. If that ever happens, a meta that allows Dynamax, Z-moves, and Mega Evolutions... Oh wait, that meta did exist. It was called National Dex, pre-Dynamax ban. And yes, <laughs> it was terrifying. But no, you can't... They did make it so you couldn't Dynamax and Z-move on the same Pokemon, or Dynamax and Mega on the same Pokemon. And I would hope the Pokemon company would think the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At this point, I think we're rambling on, but final thoughts about Hisui and Voltorb. Super hyped, but kind of a, kind of a last-minute surprise before we start the podcast, because the video came out literally 30 minutes before we started. Oh, definitely. It was not originally in our, in our script to talk about it, but... But clearly we talked about it for more than 20 minutes, so... Yeah, stuff to say exactly about a single Pokemon being released, literally a little wooden ball. Let us ramble for twenty minutes. Yeah, I do want to say I do <laughs> like the fact that it is a wooden ball because it matches the the style of Pokeballs that are in the Hisui region, the yeah. Pokeballs that are made out of wood. Yeah, <laughs> which I don't even want to begin the lore implications of what the hell Kurt did to revolutionize Pokeballs because Kurt. They're made of metal with Kurt and Apricorns, but Apricorns exist. Pokemon lore is confusing. 
you're going to move on. Yeah. So let's go ahead and just move right along to our next segment. So for now, let's go ahead and dig into uh, Hawkeye episode four. Yes. So this episode, I really liked. It was better than episode three, which was already an episode I liked. And definitely setting us up for the grand finale. I'm a little bit on the opposite. I feel like this, I feel like it should be moving faster, considering that we're six episodes in, and we're only this episode getting a big reveal now, and I'm still not really much aware of the plot happening. Okay, well, for me, I kind of figured out what the plot is setting up. I think what it is is the watch is Laura's. Let's be up. I think the watch is Laura's. Yeah. I, I mean, at, at, at most, because <clears throat> they don't really have a... <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> okay, there we go. At much, it's pretty much just... The plot is different each and every episode, to the point where it doesn't really line up properly. Like, we get to watch this episode. We get the escape the episode before. We get... And it's just... I, I don't know how to feel. I feel like... I'm kind of in a different boat saying that I still think episode three was better, but I do still like a lot of aspects that we saw in episode four, especially because episode three was a little more experimental with the cinematography. Yeah. And we got a lot of good bonding time in that episode. Not saying we didn't get any in this episode, but just everything in episode three I liked a lot more. And I'm, I'm very concerned about the speed of the plot right now. I feel differently. I think the plot is actually moving along very smoothly because we're getting a lot more revelations. For one, we have the fact that the watch is Laura's. Laura most likely was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, and the watch has her information and Clint's information, which is why Maya has the name of Clint's family, which no one should have access to because they're off-government records. Yeah, and also... The big thing is, like, I'm also concerned because these um, these cliffhangers are not paying off. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it up front. So they, they just aren't. You don't think the cliffhanger with um, with uh, Jack and Eleanor didn't pay off? It did not pay off for me. I'm sorry. I expected a lot more character interactions between Clint and Jack, especially with their history in the comics, and to get almost nothing See, I was more, see, I was more, like, with Clint and Jack, at first I was like, oh, they're not really interacting. But then Eleanor and Clint interacted, and I found that to be their, much more poignant. Their, their interactions were a lot better, yes. I feel, I felt like that the real setup was, they were faking you out into thinking Jack, because see, they keep trying to run with the Jack is the villain red herring, but the moment Eleanor showed in see, the scene... That, that is the part of the episode that I like, is that, like we said when we f first watched episode one and two, she is extremely suspicious. And, and her, and her like, like, her specific wording is like, like, it, it conveys more of a, like, sinister. More sinister. Like, she doesn't say, like, oh, I don't want my daughter getting hurt. No, she says she doesn't want her involved. Yeah. Which means, which leads me to believe she has more of a stake than she's letting on. Yeah. Which, that part of the episode I did like, setting Eleanor up, because I think she is going to be the true um, antagonist. antagonist, while Jack is just a red herring. I do yeah. believe that for a fact as I well. I think the reason, I think we did hype up the fact that Jack and Clint were going to have an interaction, 
But I also feel that the reason why they did the cliffhanger is because they were trying to set up this red herring with Jack. And because we already knew, because everyone was already suspicious of Eleanor, we expected something differently. <clears throat> but if we're thinking about it in the narrative structure that Marvel wanted, it makes more sense that a cliffhanger with Jack would be the thing because of the fact that it's trying to it's been trying to make it seem like Jack was the one that killed Armand because he threatened Eleanor. We saw Jack steal the Ronin sword at the auction, which was already shady because the auction was a black market auction that was showing off stuff from the Avengers compound. And then we see him hiding in the penthouse. He didn't he didn't make any noise when he first heard someone come into the penthouse and he already has the Ronin sword drawn like I feel narratively that was all supposed to be a build-up to the big reveal that Jack is evil. Oh my god. But then they were going to be like, psych! But I think because everyone kind of figured to begin with that Jack wasn't the main villain, it falls flat. Yeah. it's. I feel like if you were someone that didn't have knowledge of the comics and just weren't paying as much attention as a lot as like, bigger nerds are you probably the the payoff the the chris like the build-up with jack would feel more natural yeah because i mean when you say everything that he's done out loud he's a suspicious as fuck individual he's at a black market auction that he's at a black market auction that is being hosted as at his fiance's fundraiser where his uncle is there and him and his uncle don't seem to be on the best of terms despite outward appearances his uncle friends his fiance his uncle ends up dead by stabbing which is very suspicious after the fact that you know said nephew stole a sword from a black market auction selling superhero items and also he has an obsession with sword fighting and just collecting a whole bunch of swords i don't i don't think that part is suspicious but the suspicious part is the fact that he took the Ronin sword. Yeah. I mean, more possessing the swords at all. Like, who in New York, New York has that many swords and doesn't use them? I mean, if you really want to go with that, Colleen Wing. Fair enough. Colleen Wing literally lives in New York City, and she has a fuck ton of swords! Also, Melvin Potter exists, and he has a bunch of armor in his in his place. All this right. is Marvel New York. You have to remember. Well, that's Hell's Kitchen. That's probably well off from the from the rich district of New York. You do realize that the area that this is taking place in is close to Hell's Kitchen because Kingpin is involved. Fair. Fair. Yeah. When I'm saying things are suspicious, I'm thinking of things being suspicious within the world that they live in. Owning swords isn't suspicious in the Marvel world. Not because... owning swords, but owning swords in connection to the crime that was committed, stabbing his uncle. Yeah. I would say that him taking the Ronin sword is the suspicious thing. Yeah. That is the suspicious thing, is that he took the Ronin sword and he was at a black market auction. All of these things within the Mar- Oh, and the fact that he's the CEO of Sloan Limited, which is a shell company that we know funds the tracksuits because Kazi works there. Yeah. And so that is all supposed to set up the fact that Jack's suspicious. Yeah, which, of course, neither of us believe. 
Yeah, neither of us believe. But I imagine if you're just a regular average Joe and you're thinking about things from an in-universe perspective, Jack is all types of suspect. Yeah. And he also had the um the Armand candy. Uh, that's easy to write off, especially if it's like a if it's like something he has easy access to as like a family like it's easy to write off in a general sense. But when you establish a pattern of behavior, it makes him suspicious. Yeah. I mean, of course, we're both talking about the fact that we know he's not suspicious. But yeah. of course, in-universe, yeah, that, that triggers Kate's suspicions quite a bit. Yeah, I think it's a bit of um, fourth wall myopia, which is because of things we know out of universe, we know the narrative is... Because of things we know out of universe we get disappointed about decisions made by characters in-universe. But that is not information that the characters have. So, like, from a narrative perspective where you're writing from the perspective of these characters, a cliffhanger with Jack makes sense given all the information the characters know. But from us on the outside, we already have so much other information that we know Jack isn't someone that is worthy of a cliffhanger. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I just expected more character interactions, not even him being the antagonist. I mean, getting character uh, interactions to the, to the amount that Eleanor got with Clint. Yeah. That's that's more what I was expecting. And then when I when I saw her jump into frame, I'm like, oh, this is going in a completely di different direction. And I'm not sure how I'm going to like this. Yeah. I... I'm still holding my... Um, I'm still holding my judgment on Jack just because we haven't seen where his character arc is really going to develop. And we only have two episodes left. I mean, we really just need to find out where he lies. Yes, he is the CEO of Sloan Limited, but is that because he's genuinely evil? Or is it because Eleanor said, you should do this? Yeah. I feel, I'm holding my judgment on Jack's character arc until the end, just because we don't know where he lies yet. I and I feel that once we learn where his character lies, we can then make a holistic judgment. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just... I'm just very, like, iffy on it, because I expected the plot to move a little faster, considering we only have six episodes, and then... I feel the plot did move pretty fast. Yeah, I just feel like it's not touching everything that's relevant in the plot. In what ways, though? We like, have the fact that Kazi got blackmailed, and they're trying to get Maya off the trail of Clint. We have the fact that, um, what is it? Um, Kate picked up all the trick arrows, so they have all their arsenal. And Hawkeye's getting a new costume. And then we break into Maya's house, we get the watch, we pretty much know what the watch was for, and why it's important, and why the tracksuits would want it, and we are got Yelena to show up. Yeah. I feel which, the plot has moved pretty quickly, all things considered. Yeah. I'm just... I don't know. Something just doesn't seem right to me. I can't really put it into words. Like, this episode was mainly a fetch quest. And, and I, I don't know. It's what Was it really a fetch quest? Because that was only... In the grand scheme of the episode... I mean, and that, only that was one... only relevant in this episode. Really? I mean, the fetch quest? Yeah. I mean, 
it's relevant because of the fact that it's a it's a real logistical thing that we have to consider. Because I mean, it, it it is. I mean, it's just we're jumping around all the time in this in this um, show. Like my only my only hesitancy to say that is because some of the stuff that have been on the side, such as the role playing or the live action role play stuff, has been actually really good for character development. But I. I feel like it hasn't been jumping all over the place. I feel it's been fairly consistent in what the plot is. The plot is this. Tracksuits think Kate is Ronan. They want to kill her because Ronan killed off William Lopez and the other higher-ups of the Tracksuit Mafia. Clint wants the Ronan identity stopped because he's afraid Kate will get hurt. And he wants the watch because it belongs to his wife and his wife's information is on there jeopardizing his family. And that's why the two sides are fighting. Yeah. And Eleanor is suspect. She has something going on that Kate that she doesn't want Kate to know. And it's looking like more and more she's the head of the tracksuit mafia and she doesn't want Kate to know that. And we already know why Yelena's there because of the ending of Black Widow. Yeah. Which that is actually an element of the episode I, we were all looking forward to, of course. We wanted yeah. some big character reveal from MCU's past, and of course we got Yelena. Of course, most of us were expecting Kingpin, but we will take Yelena. Everyone that said Kingpin was showing up was saying that he's coming in episode 5. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel this plot has been fairly straightforward and has been going at a pretty good pace. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, like, the episode itself. I'm saying it, this episode in connection to the rest of the series. No, that's what I'm saying. I feel like it's going at a pretty good pace. I feel that it really brings us closer to the finale because here's what we have. The Black Widow agent is now here, working, presumably, like, under contract to kill Clint. And Clint has now just got absolutely bodied. And it's like, oh god, what do I do? I have nothing. I really need to, like, get into gear. They have, like, what do I do? Like, I have to stop them. Yeah. Because, I mean... I don't know, I just... I feel I expected more, and... I'm kind of getting my expectations a little... Uh, maybe my expectations were too high of this series, but... Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what would be the more in this series? Because we knew it was going to be grounded. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out, like, what would be the, like, a bigger, flashier thing? Because the only thing I can think of is Kingpin, but, I mean... I mean, like, that's kind of surface level. Like, character reviews yeah, are fine and obviously. all, but... I, don't, I just expected to be further along in the plot here. Like, I, yeah, I'm just... I'm trying to figure out what, what more could we have gotten, considering how far we are already. We're pretty much in the endgame. And if... Yeah, I'm just... I think it's less how far we are and more what we're doing to get this far. Like, the fact that we're at, episode, at the end of episode four... And, like, right at the peak of the rising action, like, just about, and we have fetched a watch at this point. But the watch has been the main catalyst for the plot. Like, the watch is literally the reason why the plot happens. The watch is the most important thing. Which, I mean, like, here's the, the thing. The story... it, wasn't, it wasn't relevant in episode three, though. It really wasn't. Because episode three was the fact that they had to escape. 
Yeah, I just feel like it's moving in different directions all the time, and I'm like... I mean, they didn't know the tracksuits had the watch, though. I mean, they did, but they didn't know that it would be there. And I feel it's a reasonable assumption that it wouldn't be there. Yeah. Because it wasn't. I mean, I felt that it made a lot of sense for the fact that they would want to escape as soon as possible, like, get their bearings straight, figure things out before making the next move, which would be for the watch. I just feel like new things pop up and it's yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm really having a hard time trying to see what you mean by like new things because I feel like everything they've set up is being a direct result of what has come previously. Yeah. Like the watch is the watch is the crux of why the heist happens. Like that's exactly why the heist happens. Clint even references in episode 3 the fact that the watch was stolen, and he worries that it isn't the only thing stolen from Avengers Compound. And in this episode, they go to retrieve the watch because they know it was something stolen from the compound that is very important. The watch has been a pretty consistent aspect of the plot. Yeah. Maybe not- maybe fast is not the right word, just- I'm not- intrigued by it at all i'm going that that maybe that's where this is all coming from it's not intriguing to me really the 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 watch plot no it's not it really is not that's probably where this is all stemming from because i'm just not like interested in a watch uh, fetch quest yeah i think it's more about what the watch holds that it's that's yeah. why the watch is so important which the last three minutes of the episode was was good, yeah. Because of course we got all that information that um, that Echo had had information on Clint's family, and then we've had Yelena come in. Yeah. Those three episodes were good because I don't want to because we get to get the most movement of the plot in those three minutes. We got the fact that I mean Clint, we knew the watch was belonging to Laura earlier in the episode, yeah. Like, Before those last three minutes, we figure out that the but watch the tension hers. rose up so much because now Clint's family is in danger. Yeah. Now a Black Widow is involved. Like the fact that Yelena came in, that made the like made it much better. Not just as a surface level character reveal, but the fact yeah. that her alone uh, raises the stakes that much. I'm just the rest of the plot is not interesting to me. I guess. I guess for me, I'm kind of just like, know that the watch is important because it's not the watch itself, it's what's in the watch. Like, yeah. no one gives a fuck about the watch. Everyone cares about what's in the watch, and that's why everyone is going for it. Yeah, but we had no indication up until those last three minutes. And I mean, yeah, yeah it could be Stark tech, of course. I feel like. Or, or Stark or Shield tech. I feel like, like that's because that's the norm, but. I don't know. We just, we aren't shown enough about this particular watch. I mean, the fact of the matter is that it was something stolen from the Avengers compound and is on the black market, I think should be a hook enough in terms of narratively speaking, because as an audience, we know that anything that is owned by the Avengers is high level stuff that should never be used by the public. So the fact that it's out there is already worry enough. So I feel like the fact that a watch stolen from the Avengers compound being put on the black market, especially because it was shown after the Ronin gear was put on, I feel like it was a clue that it's not because it's a watch. Yeah, but but of course it just they they aren't as like 
it's not conveyed that this is like a super like important item like just clint just refers to it as a rolex i mean to be fair he could be doing that just to keep kate uh i feel like they involved but i'm pretty sure they do that just because they don't want to reveal what's inside of it yeah because why because why in universe why would clint say anything but rolex it's it's more like it's more like i feel like he's not concerned enough for it i mean obviously it's the main part of the plot but there's not much agency in his character to not to get it but there's he should be a little more concerned about it i mean he is they staged an entire break-in just to get it I, I mean, mean the, the first I mean, yeah, part. I mean, I, mean, the, I mean, yeah. Like I said, that's the whole part of the plot. But I feel like his character should have a little more agency than that. But like, it, like, like smaller trying... things. Like, like he's not as worried as I would expect from him. I mean, I get. Like, I like, mean, he's. <laughs> it, it's it's more smaller character stuff that I'm expecting, and just I'm not intrigued because I don't really. I, I, I'm given no reason to why these characters are concerned about the watch, aside from just the surface level stuff and not, like... But he does what, show... He does show concern about the fact that the not, watch... I, I feel like not enough, though. I mean, given everything that's happened in the plot, the only times he has downtime is... The only time he has downtime is when he's, like, resting from injury. And in that time, he has to train Kate... So she can help him get the watch. Yeah. The only time he has time to talk about it is in the taxi cab, and when he's with uh, when he's talking with Laura. Yeah, just because the plot moves so fast, like he's always doing something. It just moves so slow to me because I'm just not interested. I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm my enjoyment of the show is starting to dwindle. I don't know. For me, it's starting to increase because now we're getting answers we're gonna figure out exactly what this watch is like what it like what is inside of it in terms of is it just information on clint's family or is it more like i said the last three episodes were probably the last three minutes of that episode were probably the best because we got the most information even though like two of those minutes were a fight yeah but once again because but once again we knew that the watch had information on it prior to the last three minutes. Yeah. And I just... Because they say it. They say the fact that the watch had information on it. Yeah. I'm just... Because especially with the last three episodes of other shows that we've gotten, like WandaVision and Loki, like, they've been more... They've been more tense than we feel now, and... I don't know. I'm just... Maybe this show's not for me. Maybe. Because I'm, like, trying to figure out exactly where it's, it's, it's losing you, but I'm kind of, like, I'm trying to figure out where it's losing you, but I'm like, th- I'm, I'm, that's I'm, what they're doing, though. I'm just, this isn't interesting to me, and also, I feel like it's suffering from the fact that it's only six episodes. Honestly, if this show was eight episodes, I would accept the speed that the plot's going at, but... I, I actually disagree. As the plot moves forward, I feel that if it drag, I feel the fact that it had, if it was longer, it would drag more. I feel like the Jack plot, for example, would get dragged out a lot more. We wouldn't get to know Maya as quickly as we did because I feel Maya's episode was a perfect 
intro to her character, and I feel that if this was that, eight that's... episodes, they would drag it across episodes instead of yeah. making it concise. Then again, I am speaking from the fact that we don't know what these next two episodes are going to entail. Yeah. So I'm just, I... I'm, I'm, it's this show is really starting to lose me. Okay, for me, it's really starting to get me because we're finally gonna like understand exactly like yeah who's running the tracksuit mafia is it eleanor is there someone above eleanor is jack being played for a fool why did they kill armand like now we're getting to that because at this point the ronin suit's been like stored and the sword has been stored because clint stole it so we don't got to worry about ronin suit anymore the watch has now just been successfully gotten but now he has to f make sure the tracksuits don't use the information because it's clear they have some part of it. Yeah. So now it's leading up to the fact that I gotta do this. But he just kicked Kate out because he got reminded about um, Natasha when she was falling. And that's why he kicked her out. And obviously Kate's gonna be like, well, fuck no, you're gonna go die. Yeah. And I think... What's going to happen is, based off of trailers, we know Clint is wearing a suit and he gets shot at. Next episode, he's going to infiltrate some type of big type of Met Gala event that is being hosted by Kingpin. That Eleanor is going to be there. Kazi's going to be there. Maya's going to be there. And that's when we're going to get the revelation of what exactly was on the watch. And that Clint is now way over in his head. Yeah. Let's definitely just talk about other parts of the episode before I'm completely considered someone who doesn't like the show. Because, um, I mean, because, like, episodes two and three were pretty good. Or, episode three was episode pretty good, was, and, and episode two was growing on me, for sure. I I liked episode one more than I liked episode two, personally. Really? Yeah, just because they used too much slow-mo when they did the LARPers part, which made it drag on more. But... I mean, that's kind of the point, is to make it overly dramatic. No, I know they were making it overly dramatic. I just felt that the scene could just be a little bit more condensed, especially because the point of that scene is to introduce us to Grills, who is a character in the comics. And I felt that Clint didn't get to interact with Grills as much as he should have. I felt that he spent way too much time just fighting the LARPers than getting to actually fight Grills. Like, I feel like his fight with Grills should have been the thing that has the slow-mo. Like, that should have been the big, it's so overly dramatic because you know Clint could kill this man with, like, a pinky. Yeah. Like, I feel like that should have been it. And I also just felt it was a little bit disconnected because we didn't get to see Kate do, like, too much during that episode. Yeah. And she's one of our two leads. Yeah, I just like seeing more... Uh, character uh, growth for Clint. Yeah. I think he is growing with this episode because we actually did get to see just how much the Natasha thing traumatized him was the moment he saw that Kate was like dangling down, he instantly flashes to Natasha. And if you listen closely, the Vormir theme plays when he's looking down at Kate. Yeah. Which is really showing that, nope, he's having full non-flashbacks right now. Yeah. Which I think was a pretty good character like moment for him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Also, I feel this retroactively confirms all of Tony Stark's suspicions about Clint's life. 
when he showed up in Age of Ultron, he's like, this is an agent. That's an agent. He's like, this, this, this can't be regular. Which I feel we all kind of figured it wasn't regular. Just because of the fact that, you know, why? Like, what makes her special to get all this treatment? Like, yes, Clint, obviously. But this is supposedly what we were shown to be a normal person that presumably would have had, like, family and friends and she lives in this off-the-grid nowhere. It now makes more sense why this ordinary person is able to comfortably live like this because she's not ordinary. She's actually a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent or a former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Um, I think Kingpin will show up next episode. I don't think... The one thing that I I hope people understand is we're not going to see Kingpin fight. He is not fighting in this series. Yeah. He's not going to fight. Especially because we have so much to handle in this in this entire series. we got to handle the tracksuits as a whole. we got to handle Echo. we got to handle Yelena. It's... It, to add Kingpin in there, like... Like, Kingpin's purpose, in my opinion, in this show, is to show us who's at the top, but the real final boss is Eleanor, and she's going to lose by losing favor with Kingpin. And how she's going to lose favor with Kingpin is that her associates are going to disassociate with her. We're going to probably find out on some level that Eleanor, or Kingpin, but I'm thinking it's going to be Eleanor, leaked information about the tracksuits, and that gave Clint the opportunity to pounce on the information and kill the tracksuits, which ended up with William's death. And I feel if that's revealed, that's going to make Kazi and Echo turn on her because that was Echo's, that was Echo's dad and that was Kazi's uncle. And so they're going to bounce. Yelena will learn the truth that Natasha sacrificed herself and she's going to develop a friendship with Kate. Kate will finally be able to get all of her lingering resentment out on Eleanor and finally, like, be able to tell her, like, you just, you ruined everything. We're probably going to find out that Eleanor killed the dad as well during the Shatari invasion. Like, I think that's what's going to happen. And us seeing Kingpin is more going to be like, you did all of this for what? Like, Eleanor, you curd you tried to gain all this power, but you never were the one at the top. There was always someone bigger than you, and at the end of the day, all you did to get there was, did not, did not appease him. I also feel like Jack is going to fight Clint initially, because he's going to be protecting Eleanor, but once he learns the truth, he's probably going to back off. Yeah, it's just, I have so, so much trouble following this now, because... Again, I'm just not intrigued. I hate. I hate to say it. I really hate to say it, but it's the the, the show is starting to lose me. Uh, for me, it's really starting to grip me because I'm starting to see a clearer picture of where we're headed, and we're we're not going to get like the big action set piece is going to be against like an army of grunts. It's not going to be like a one on one fight because this is not the type of show. I mean, I'm not expecting. I mean, we shouldn't expect. Oh yeah. We shouldn't expect, like, grand finale, episode 6, Kate versus Kingpin. We shouldn't expect that. Oh, yeah. If anyone expects that, I don't know what you're thinking. He's not fighting in this show. If he fights in this show, that will be a welcome surprise. If anything, we're going to get something 
if we get anything at all, we're going to see something like we saw in his day. Was it his debut episode where he beat up a grunt behind in an alleyway? That wasn't his debut episode. I, I thought so. Yeah, it wasn't it was, his debut, but it was episode. his first episode that he ever did anything like violent. Violent, which is when he killed the Russian guy for embarrassing in front of Vanessa. Yeah, I think if we get anything, we're going to get something akin to that. Yeah, actually, I don't think we will. I Reason mean, being is that if no, this... I'm saying if we get anything at all, if we get anything, oh, any, any type of violence, any type of action or violence coming from Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin, that is the furthest we're gonna get. Yeah, we'll if probably anything see at all. Yeah, if anything, when we see him, I think what we're gonna see is we're gonna see him as someone that knows how to pick and choose his battles after getting absolutely destroyed by Matt in his apartment building at the end of season three. Yeah. I think this is going to be a kingpin that realizes that if he really wants to be the kingpin, he knows that he cannot fight everyone that interferes with his operations. He's going to just have yeah. to let people go. So you think he's going to have more of a personality shift from when we seen him in the first few episodes, or few first seasons of Daredevil? Yes, I think this kingpin, more than anything else, is going to lean in more to his manipulative side that he did with Bullseye. Yeah. But he's going to be less hands-on than before. Because his undoing was killing Bullseye's love interest. That was his undoing. Well, I wouldn't say love interest because he wasn't actually in love with her. It was more like he was, she was like his anchor to sanity. Yeah. It was more like he was creepily following her around. Yeah. He, he, he straight up said like he's not attracted to her. Like he doesn't want her in that way. It was more like she was some type of anchor for him, and Kingpin took that. And I think Kingpin is going to take those lessons and know that he doesn't want to pick a fight with Hawkeye. Yeah. Because that gives him too much heat, and that may lead to other Avengers cracking down on him. So I think this Kingpin is going to be more like, you know what? Bye, Eleanor! He'll be like, I have never seen this woman in my entire life. I did not have any relations with that woman. And <laughs> Eleanor is just going to fall. I think yeah. this kingpin, we're just going to see him. And we're just going to see him. He's going to have... Um, I think they're going to take aspects of the, the um, aborted plot for season four, which was going to have um, um, Owl. Remember his assistant? the owl in season one that Karen killed. Yeah. So in season four, apparently his son was supposed to come up and become one of um, Kingpin's top lieutenants mm -hmm. in season four. I think we're just going to see bits of that where we're going to see that he had Eleanor. She was a good lieutenant. She was running operations for him, but she let things go too far and he's going to move on. And we're going to see that he has other lieutenants that are doing other business. And one of them will be the owl's king. Yeah. Alright. But I think we talked at length about episode four. I personally would give it a six and a half, seven. I'm, 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 I'm gonna say it's six. Yeah, I would give it a six and a half, seven. It, the episode it wasn't bad, it's just the episode's not for me, and the, 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 the plot's not gripping me. I'm, I'm sorry to say it, but it's just it's kind of giving me flashbacks to Black Widow where I'm like, I wanted something for this character, but what I got wasn't worth the wait. Yeah. Especially when the big... The point of this show was to set up Kate and put her into, like, 
an Avengers level position. Yeah. Or not position, like putting her into the Avengers team, but more build her character up to where we have a reason to root for her as to fight alongside the Avengers. I think how this series will end, though, is that it's not going to end with you are ready, it is fine, I will train you. You think so? I think the ending is going to be Kate at Clint's house you, with his family enjoying Christmas. Which that also would leave to imply that her family's going to fall apart. Oh, I think her family is falling apart. Yeah. And with, that he will, she will become like the adoptive big sister to the rest of Clint's family and she will be trained. Yeah. And either she will train with Clint and the end credit scene will be Yelena recruiting her because they have a bond in the comics, or the end credit scene is the beginning of her training, and the next time we see her will be Yelena recruiting her. Yeah. I'm really hoping to get a lot more from Yelena, because she was great in Black Widow. That was the part of Black Widow that I absolutely loved. Yeah. That and um, that and uh, their dad, too. Oh, yeah. Those two, were, th those two were the best characters. Let's, oh, let's, yeah. Let's be fair. Oh, they definitely were. But I want to see more from her. Most likely we're going to get it in episode six. Yeah, we're definitely going to see it in episode six. Because, I don't know, episode five is probably going to be a moment where they fall have a falling out. They do take a lot of resting time in this series, I will say that. Yeah, but I also think that's just because well, Clint of all the Avengers, Clint is the one that needs it the most. He's pushing in his 50s now. And he tried to retire a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, Clint is now in his 50s, and the people he's fighting are in their 20s. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that he's holding up is impressive as it stands. Yeah. So, yeah. I think the ending of the series is going to be Kate getting trained by Clint. And she's going to learn everything. She's going to learn how the Ronin fights. She's going to learn how Hawkeye fights. She's going to be able to learn how to use every trick arrow. She's going to even, she's going to master the sword even better. And, yeah. All right. Well, I think that pretty much covers that. Yeah. Um, the next topic is just some more Marvel news that we got. Yeah, we did get, uh, a trailer for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Yes. So the fact that they said Part 1 kind of surprised me because I was like, oh, that's a little, that's a little ambitious. Like, I know Into the Spider-Verse was good. At okay, I, okay. Did, I, I didn't want to dive into this yet because, oh. because I have opinions on Sony and their handling of Spider-Man. And, um, so I guess we're just going to dive right into this. Just do it, just do it. So, of course, with The Amazing Spider-Man, with the duology, got one and two, and two, they tried really hard to, uh, advertise that the next movies were going to be about the Sinister Six, and... They also just kept advertising just other Marvel properties in general. Like, this, like, the movie wasn't a... I'll be fair... I barely remember the movie, so this is mostly yeah. coming from what I remember, not from recent memory. Yeah. But they just... The whole point of the movie wasn't the plot. It was an advertisement. Yeah, because I remember during the time period when the movie came out, there were backroom talks about merging, about crossing over with the Fox first and potentially the MCU because this was right around the time where... Disney didn't fully own Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios was still partnering with Paramount Pictures. And so I think they were thinking about making one giant conjoined cinematic universe yeah. at the time. And so they were thinking, we'll just use Amazing Spider-Man 2 as a stepping stone to that project. 
But then Disney fully incorporated Marvel Studios, the X-Men and the X-Men and Fantastic Four movies started, you know, dipping in quality, and Sony was like, well, our plans just went in the shitter. Yeah, so the, the thought that they are already planning to um, have an entire series based from their second movie, yeah. I am very worried. I am extremely worried. At the same time, I do acknowledge Into the Spider-Verse was by far one of the best things Sony ever did. Yeah, it's in my opinion, it is probably the best Spider-Man film we've had. Because up until before Spider-Verse came out, Sony Animation was was in the toilet as far as their reputation was concerned in the animation community. Yeah. Because I forget what released right before Spider-Verse, but they've had some garbage movies coming out from that studio didn't they make emoji movie that was the one yeah they made that was the movie. one that was the one that tanked their reputation and then spider-verse brought them back up i'm gonna have a hot take the emoji movie wasn't as bad as people say it is there were far worse animated movies yeah it's just in my opinion the emoji movie was just shallow it wasn't bad i think it was just shallow but spider-verse is anything but shallow yeah i mean the reason people hated it, like, people hated it before it came out. The reason that it was so hated was it's because it's, it, it's, cl it's clear what it was. It was, it's just, uh, oh my god, let's make emojis the new let, 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 let's, for let's, kids. Let's make, let's make, uh, Zoomers the movie. Yeah. But Into the Spider-Verse was... But, but that great. skyrocketed their reputation. That's why I'm a little less concerned for this when I talk about its relation to The Amazing Spider-Man 2. As far as how Sony approaches things, but then again, it is a completely separate studio, but it's still under the guise of Marvel. So here's the thing that worries me, that they're doing part one. I think they're trying to cross it over. You think so? I think we're going to get not a full crossover, but references to other Spider-Men that have had movies. I th I well, think... considering that we're getting, because so far the only uh, Spider-Man we see in the move in the um, in the trailer is Gwen, Miles, and Spider-Man from uh, Spider-Man twenty ninety nine. His name starts with an H. Is it Hector? It, it, it's it's a I know it's, it's a Hispanic. It's a Hispanic name, yeah. But yeah, we do get him because we did see him at the in, end in, at the end of the first movie. <laughs> Pointing meme. But, yeah. But, look, so, his inclusion makes sense, of course, because he's not, because he was at the end of the first movie, and he's not really, he's not really relevant to modern Marvel discussion. So, uh, we don't really know much about He's him. relevant for Spider-Verse. For the Spider-Verse, sure. For the Spider-Verse aspect of Marvel Comics, I mean. But for the broader, like... Yeah, it, like, as a general Marvel fan, you don't really think about him. Yeah. And the re so, to follow up on what I mean when I say crossover. So, at the end of No Way Home trailer, we're seeing that the multiverse is somehow cracking open in some way. And Doctor Strange can't contain it. And we also know, because Kevin Feige has confirmed this, Venom entered the MCU. And he's now there. 
I'm thinking Sony is really trying to do this. They want to do Spider-Verse, the storyline, but Miles is the main character. And we will, and it will have effects for, like, obviously any Miles-centric movies, but we will feel ripples of it in the MCU. And I think they are trying to do that. Do you think so? Yes, and I kind of don't want it to happen. But see, I, I see the writing because they've already teased too many aspects of the multiverse, and they've already started teasing aspects of the fact that Spider-Verse parts of the multiverse are going to be a thing. Yeah. Between the Ebony Blade, between the Ebony Blade, Gore the God Butcher, and the fact that between the Ebony Blade, Gore the God Butcher, and the Celestials, and now No Way Home being the first movie proper to deal with the multiverse, and coincidentally, Spider-Man happens to be the character that has a bunch of multiverse stories, so much so that this one is having three different Spider-Men, and now Sony's making another Spider-Man movie dealing with the multiverse, and their other live-action movie also is dealing with the multiverse, and it's using Spider-Man characters. I'm really, really thinking they're gonna try and do something like that. The best example that I can use is that so you know how there's X-Men 97? Yeah. So there are theories that X-Men 97 will cross over in the MCU via Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Via character cameos. And that it's not going to be a main thing. Like, the main part of um, X-Men 97 isn't trying to cross over with the MCU. That's not the main point of it. But the multiverse aspect of Marvel will affect that show. Like, there will be a ripple effect on the show. I think they're trying to do a similar thing with Into the Spider-Verse, and I think that's why they're doing part one, because they want to leave it on a cliffhanger that they could cross over with the MCU in part two. Yeah. I'm just, just knowing Sony and how they really want to embed themselves in Marvel, they want to, like, fully sink themselves into Marvel to the point where if Marvel tries to pull away they risk destroying continuity. Yeah, and especially because, like, Spider-Verse itself should be its own thing because yeah. the creative um, teams that that made Spider-Verse into an Academy... Was it Academy Award winning? It, it, it won... Nominated. It, was, it won some award. I think it was... It, it definitely won... Best I think it had to be for, like, soundtrack. No, it won Best Animated Picture. Okay, that... I yeah, 2018. Yeah, that was the best animated movie that came out. That you year. know that 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 movie won best animated picture, a movie or a category that's exclusively won by Disney or Pixar most of the time. Yeah, but yeah, the, with uh, the fact that they made such a like grounded you or, or not grounded, but like a contained universe that was yeah. beloved by anyone who saw it. Yeah, the fact that it could cross over makes me very scared. Yeah. But I don't really the, think it's going to happen. This I'm, is, I'm more concerned of what, like, Sony themselves, like, like pushing sequels before that it happens. Because I've seen it before with Amazing Spider-Man 2. So, so I guess the both of us are concerned for the movie, but for different reasons. The reason why I feel that they are trying to push it into the MC, like, trying to get it to have some form of, like, MCU, like connection 
is because here's the thing. When we first got Venom, we so when we first got Venom, we there were the sequel hook was there, but it wasn't like they didn't try to go too ham on all these big references to other aspects of Marvel. Like yeah, like the the the, the um post credit scene was pretty much the actor for uh was it Woody, Cassius? Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, yeah. It was it was Woody Harrelson in a goofy wig. Yeah. Um playing Cletus. Playing er, Cletus, that was his name. Yeah. But yeah, it was him in a goofy wig and was like, oh, the next movie's gonna be Carnage. Yeah, which made sense. Like that I... made sense. And then we jumped to Venom 2, where it's like, oh, okay, Venom is in the MCU now. Yeah. And I just kind of felt that here's so here's the thing. Just What's it's Avi Arad. That's his name. Avi Arad. I believe this man is just you give this man an inch, he will take a fucking 5k. So he has kind of been the guy on Sony's end. Uh he's like the Kevin Feige of Sony's end in the sense that he really wants to push connectivity. And that's why he sets up so many things. And I think after Venom happened, and he saw some success, he was like, we can get Disney to do this with us. Which is why Morbius was so shameless in its opening trailer about making it ambiguous about whether it took place in the MCU or not. Because he smelled blood, and he went for it. And then, with the leveraging of the Spider-Man contracts... And the fact that Sony and Marvel came to an agreement to work closer together, it made it even stronger for him to potentially push things. Then Spider-Verse got independent success. And he was like, perfect. We have, we, we have trusted, people have trusted us to do Spider-Man related content. And then the multiverse saga started. And then they were like, what if we cross over Carnage? We cross over Venom with the MCU. And then they did it, and fans have now lost their collective shit. And then the rumors have come out about Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire showing up in the MCU, and fans are losing their collective shit. I mean, remember back in WandaVision when we thought Evan Peters' Quicksilver had just crossed over? Everyone lost their minds. And it ended up turning into a, a dick joke, pretty much. Yes, but you have to. But remember the fan. Remember the fan. Just reaction. Just, oh yeah, the uh, the the fandom collapse that was from that one. Just that one episode ending was it almost broke the internet. Yeah, it blew everyone's mind. I think he's chasing that. This sounds conspiracy theory level type of connection, but I think that's what they're going for. Because that's what's in. Everything Marvel-related that has come out in, like, live-action form has been connected. But now, with What If opening the doors to animation, and us getting Spider-Man freshman year, and with the fact that X-Men 97 is potentially going to connect over with the MCU, I think Sony is looking at the fact that they may be able to swing the success of their animated of their animated hit 
and swing it so that it can connect into the MCU so Sony's brand can grow bigger. So now they have to watch Sony movies that are Marvel related because if you miss it, you may miss a connection to the MCU. Which I, I don't think it's going to happen, but I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to happen with this because movie. Because he, here's what I expect from Spider-Verse. I expect it to be like hopping through different dimensions, exploring. Oh, yeah. But I'm really hoping it doesn't ripple into the MCU. Or the MCU's um, effects don't ripple into this at all. So here's what I think is going to happen. It's not going to be like the MCU is the main setting. No, oh. like, like uh, events what? from that movie will, like, like say there's some... there's more universe-breaking stuff other than what we see in Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and in and, um, Loki. And in um, Ant-Man Quantum. Ev everything. Yeah. Say we get more universe uh, multiverse-breaking stuff in those movies. I don't want those to affect this at all, and I think that's what you're kind of leaning against. Yes. Yeah, I don't want that to happen with Spider-Verse. Like, I'm fine with them connecting previous live-action movies. Like, for, I mean, for all I care, connect the Ang Lee Hulk, the 60s Captain America, and the shitty Howard the Duck. For all I care, connect all those to the MCU, I'm fine. Because, but the animated thing is where I'm really drawing the line. I'm already hesitant about X-Men 97 inevitably crossing over. Because yeah. if the leaks are true, I'm going to say fans of X-Men 97 are not going to be particularly happy with how this crossover ends up in Multiverse of Madness. And if that's the direction they want to go with their animated series, I'm afraid of what that would mean for Spider-Verse. Yeah. Like, I'm afraid that, like, Spider-Verse is going to have connections to the MCU, and thus it could tease things that, like, say, like, Penny Parker now shows up in the MCU through Multiverse shenanigans for, like, an adventure. Where we're losing aspects of what could be fun, creative, individual stories being now just wrapped into the MCU. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. And when I saw part one, I was like, oh, fuck, they're making part two part of the MCU. Yeah. Because I can already see it. I can already see how they want to hook you. Like, you've been, they're like, the multiverses, like, crossed over, and you caused all this different damage with all those different Spider-Men crossing over, and Miles is like, but it wasn't Gwen's fault, it's, it was Kingpin's fault that all this happened, and blah blah blah, and the Spider-Man 2099 is like, but you still meddled, and now you're meddling again, and then the, the multiverse is cracking apart, and at the end of part one, it's gonna be like, oh my god, what have we done? And then it's supposed to tie in to how the multiverse is cracked and all the other Marvel properties that are happening at the same time. Because yeah. with the first Into the Spider-Verse, the only connection we got to any other movie was the main Spider-Man doing the goofy dance from Spider-Man 3. Yeah. That's all we got, and it wasn't even a direct reference. Because yeah. in the movie, in, in Into the Spider-Verse, he was dressed in the Spider-Man outfit, whereas yeah. in, in the Tobey Maguire movie, it was bully. It was bully Maguire, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm but, just, yeah. So, with, with that, like, it wasn't connected at all, aside from that little Easter egg. Yeah. Aside from that, if we get connections to the MCU, I'm very worried, but 
I'm more worried for my thing because I feel like yeah. the fact that they're going to be so sequel oriented is going to tarnish the quality of the movie. Yeah. That's also why I'm afraid about the connection to the MCU because is get... I feel they want to hyper fixate on that aspect and it's going to be at the detriment to everything else about the movie. Yeah. I'm I'm definitely more concerned about the sequelitis because just I know how Sony's handled this in the past and that worries me a lot. Yeah, I mean to be perfectly honest with you, I kinda didn't want a sequel to into the Spider Verse. Neither I, I didn't either. I didn't really want the the the, the story doesn't warrant a sequel. Yeah, I mean, I mean it was we're, like, we're hyped that we're getting it, but at what cost? Yeah, like I was fine with the ending. It was like, that's like yeah, spy it's like, yeah. Miles, he's now accepted as Spider-Man, and he has friends with his roommate, which is definitely Genki. And he's not gone from, like, him and Gwen are not separated forever. Like, they can see each other. And I was like, that's perfect. I, that didn't need to be a sequel hook. Like, what was I about to say? Like, it's like asking for a sequel to Joker. It could be cool, but the story that was told doesn't warrant a sequel. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it could be cool seeing what a Batman looks like that was growing up in that but we we really don't need it because it's like it's like as like more of comics relevant it's like asking for a, a a comic sequel to the dark knight or returns the dark knight returns they did it's comic books there's always a sequel god damn they it. made a sequel to watchmen two sequels to watchmen oh my god oh i'm guessing or how how about this? And I'm just going to say this is a joke because I know there is a sequel to this. It's like asking for a sequel to Civil War. Yeah. Because we know what happens in the sequel to Civil War. Yeah. That was a, that was a train wreck in and of itself. Oh, so bad. Like, I definitely didn't... I definitely didn't want the sequel. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I'm going to be cautiously, cautious, cautiously optimistic about its potential, but I right now only see money bags in Sony's eyes, and I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. Both of our problems have the same motivation, and yeah, it's we'll stay excited, but we're a little on the edge on this one. Yeah, like it's definitely become something that I've been a little bit weary of of the fact that because I think in this way. I feel like they. I'm really weary of Disney trying to absorb, like every aspect of Spider-Man again, but this time through just like connecting everything via multiverse, because I just it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, but just to round up all of our opinions, yes, we're excited. Of course, we are, but we have reasons to be worried because of Sony. Yeah. And Disney, for that matter, if Disney, if it is supposed to cross over, yeah. Because while I believe the creators of this love this, and I believe if there was a crossover with the MCU, it's probably going to be like a, an enormous love letter to the comics. I just don't like what it could represent. Yeah, yeah. Even if the content itself is good, because in the trailer, like it looks still just as stylized if it did before, if not more. Yeah, like obviously it's going to take place. In a different dimension, because of course, it, the stylization is completely different to what we saw in the first movie. Yeah. But with that, I'm optimistic too, but just the motivations have me very worried. Yeah. And that's definitely what I'm thinking. And yeah, I would, I would also just seen so many different clues to 
how they could do a Spider-Verse between uh, the Celestials now being a thing and Nowhere being a former Celestial whose head was cut off by Null, which was using All Black the Necro Sword, which is the sword that Gore ends up using, which is showing up in Thor Love and Thunder, and the Ebony Blade is a type of sword that is like the Necro Sword, and we saw that in the Eternals, and I'm just like, oh no, they really are trying to do this, and if Spider-Verse is getting a sequel, then they're definitely gonna do Madame Web, and yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, let's 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 definitely move on because we've had enough negative opinions about Marvel for one episode. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the next news that comes out was also Marvel related was that Shang-Chi 2 has been confirmed to be made by Daniel Cretton as well as an unnamed Disney Plus series for Marvel that will apparently have comedy as one of its main focal points. Really? Yes. Hmm. So Shang-Chi 2, we already knew this was going to happen. I mean, yeah. My question is, is so we know that we're getting a Xi Ling Disney Plus series. Do you think this is not it? No. You don't I don't think, think so. it is. Because I don't think it would be appropriate for a Xi Ling Disney Plus series to be comedic. Yeah, that, that's why I was a little surprised when you said it was going to be more comedy-centric. Yeah. Leads me to think, oh, what lead could have that? Yeah, because originally when I first read the article, it made it sound like Shang-Chi 2 was going to be the comedic one. But no, it's actually that he's making Shang-Chi 2 and he's making a Disney Plus series that will have a lot of comedy. And Which, I, more comedic than we're used to in Marvel? Like, if they point it out, it's obvious we're going to get more than what we're used to. Yeah. Because what's the most comedic ones we've got? We've got Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. We've got... On its own, Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Like, we really don't have many franchises that are super comedic. Like, yeah, we've got the classic Marvel quips and all of that, but none that are exclusively focused on, like, comedy. Yeah. Those are the, the two that immediately come to mind. Yeah. And so... So... I'm really interested in what this could be. Because the only other Disney Plus shows that we know are coming out that haven't been formally announced is we're supposed to get an untitled Wakanda show. We're getting Werewolf by Night. Actually, let me pull this up before I forget one. But yeah, it sounds like it's supposed to be um, a comedy show that is in the MCU, but is not um, Shang-Chi 2. And I hope it's not I hope it's not the um, the Xiling um, show. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so the shows that we're getting are Werewolf by Night. We are getting the ones that, yeah, the ones that haven't been announced are Werewolf by Night, um, a Wakanda series, and Silk by uh, Sony. Hmm. Which out of the ones you've listed, I don't know if any of them make sense to be comedic. The only one I could think of that would be comedic would be Silk. Yeah. And also, just a just a little bit of backtracking on my previous talk, just to further my conspiracy brain about the fact that Spider-Verse may connect over, Sony is making something regarding Madame Web. <sighs> and Madame Web is intric intricately tied to Spider-Verse. 
Just feeling my conspiracy brain even more. I'm thinking maybe, just maybe, he'll be the one working on Marvel Zombies. I could see it, actually. Maybe maybe Marvel Zombies is more comedic. I mean, they tried to make it comedic with What If, and it flopped miserably. Because, because that ended up being the weakest episode out of, the, out of the nine that we saw. Because they completely mismanaged the humor. Because the humor in Marvel Zombies is the zombies, not the people. The people are supposed to be depressed because everyone they know and love are zombies. But the zombies are supposed to be comedic because it's the same characters, but they want to consume flesh. Yeah, because in all realism, in all realism, the only ones that should be quipping is Ant-Man and Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, those are the only characters because it was revealed that's how how, um, Peter uh, copes with with tragedy around him and just Ant-Man... He's just a funny guy. Yeah, okay. We've talked about that at length. Please watch our Disney Plus video and our What If video if you want to hear more about our takes about why the Marvel Zombies episode wasn't as good as it could be. But what if the show Daniel Crichton is making is the the Marvel Zombies show that's focused on comedy? Yeah, which would lead me to believe this has to take place outside of the MCU. Would it? Multiverse. I mean, yeah, multiverse is a given, but outside the of- fact that the Marvel Zombies is already in the MCU makes me think that it's just going to be there. Think- and it was announced on Disney Plus Day. Do you think it'll take place in the same universe as What If? To start, because the big thing about Marvel Zombies is that they end up crossing into different universes and consuming them. Oh boy. So, just because of the fact that Marvel Zombies technically already exist within the MCU, it makes me think that this is just going to be more of that. Different universes and the millions of universes out there just being attacked by zombies. Okay. Well, if it's more comedic, I'll, 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 I'll take it. I just want it to be appropriate humor. Yes, please. Because, again, we have gripes about what if... And it's handling of Marvel zombies, but if it's handled by someone like independently to cr- to craft a whole series about Marvel zombies, it could be done well. Yeah, because I think the biggest weakness is that it was the entire story was contained in just one episode. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, the only uh, oh yeah, I did hear that there could be a Monica Rambeau show, but I also don't think that one should be comedic either. No, especially if the whole point of I think the whole point that they're trying to take her character after WandaVision is getting her into space, connecting her back with Carol. And Yeah. Maybe she'll have trips with the Guardians and that'll be comedic, but I just don't see it. Yeah. I feel like Guardians 3 is supposed to be the especially end of the with, Especially when we're getting... Uh, when we're getting... Um, I Am Groot. I, we're getting I Am Groot. Holiday special. We're, we're getting the holiday special. Quit taking the words out of my mouth. <laughs> we're also getting... Guardians 3. Um, all of those are going to be comedic. especially And Thor ho- Love and Thunder. And Thor Love and Thunder. Like, especially the holiday special, we know is going to be heavily comedic because it's inspired by the, the Star Wars holiday special because uh, James Gunn explicitly said that was his inspiration. Yeah, I think like, personally, like, I think we have enough comedy and I 
and comedy, I feel like we have enough comedy and that if we are going to return to space and Monica is the one, I think we should take space a little bit more seriously. Yeah. Because so far, everything involving space is comedic. Especially if we're going to get Secret Invasion soon. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Monica is going to show up, though. In I, Secret Invasion. I mean, probably not, but just as, like, the planning for the rest of this. Yeah. The, um, for the saga, like, a space is going to be involved a lot if a Secret Invasion is coming soon. Yeah. But yeah, those are our thoughts on what, what's been announced recently with uh, the potential Shang-Chi se- uh, sequel and a comedic uh, TV show begun by the same director. Yeah, um, I just want to... I'm just double-checking to make sure. Um, I'm just trying to double-check that something hasn't come out that we weren't expecting because the Hisuian Voltorb came out half an hour before, oh my god, a new Star Wars game just got announced at the Game Awards. We will talk about the Game Awards next week. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that next week because it's happening live. And um, yeah, no, but yeah, I think they just announced I, a new I'm, Star I'm Wars sure game. We'll have, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about at the Game Awards next week. This week we've got one more uh, topic that we have to talk about. And I'm going to have to take the lead on this. Yes. So So I'm the one who has to talk because someone got too obsessed with Lost and didn't dedicate time to this and hasn't caught up to the series yet. uh, So I'm sure that everyone in the anime scene is aware that JoJo's Part 6 Stone Ocean has come out on Netflix. Which is, I do want to touch on this first. The fact that it's released exclusively on Netflix. Because... Isn't only... Um... Battle Tendency, and, um... No, it, it's caught up at this point. Oh, Netflix has all of them now? Netflix has caught up. And actually, Netflix also has the the Rohan OVA from Part 4. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, they... Iraqi loves Rohan, so uh, it's, it's a given. Okay. So, um, yeah. So it's very weird, because especially watching, like, Part 5, Golden Wind... Yeah. We're used to weekly... Uh, Crunchyroll releases, but this time, we just got a dump of 12 episodes to begin with, which is why this is going to be more of a general discussion and not an episode review. And just for clarification, the 12 episodes is not the whole season, right? No. Okay. No. It's Of course we're going to get more because we only got a small bit of the plot to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, just a bit of a plot plot synopsis. Part 6 deals around with Jolene Cujo, the daughter of Jotaro Cujo, who was framed for murder in a hit-and-run and is put in Dolphin Street Prison, a prison in Florida, oh boy, and uh, is her attempts to escape and also get back uh, her father's stand. Yes, Star Platinum was stolen. Excuse me? Yes. Is it just me, or outside of, um, why am I forgetting the name of Part 3? Uh, Stardust Crusaders. Yeah. Is it just me, or outside of Stardust Crusaders, Jotaro is the biggest fucking loser in all of JoJo's. <laughs> as soon as Stardust Crusader ends, Jotaro just becomes a fucking loser. What happened? 
So, what happened? So in part four, he has to deal with the fact that his grandfather had an affair, and now he has to deal with his inheritance issues. And then in part five, he's got to figure out, okay, where the hell is the stand arrow, and what is going on in the Italian mafia? And then in part six, he's got to rescue his daughter from prison, and that fails miserably. The only thing that I know about Stone Ocean is that in the beginning of Stone Ocean, Jolene gets caught masturbating in front of a prison guard. And guess what? They still touch on that in the first two minutes of the episode. I feel like they have to. They have to. People I... were so worried that it wasn't going to happen, and they still did it. Yes, I read the first page of Stone Ocean, and it was Over just like... Over my shoulder, too. Which was like, <laughs> why? Why did they have to catch me masturbating? And I was like, well, that's enough JoJo's for me. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, this was a, a breath of fresh air, because Jolene is so much better of a character than Giorno, the protagonist of Golden Wind. Doesn't Jolene have a son in this as well? Jolene is 18. Oh, you're talking about Emporio. No, 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 no. He's just someone who... He's just a boy that is wandering around the prison and has been born there since before the prison was rebuilt from a fire. Okay, so he's not Jolene's son. No. As far as I'm aware. Okay. Of course, there are tons of time shenanigans in this series after stands are introduced, so who knows? Okay. But, um, yeah. So, most most of the plot revolves around the fact, well, the first 12 episodes was trying to retrieve the uh, memory discs that were um, stolen from Jotaro by the stand user, or the stand user of the stand, White Snake. Okay. What's White Snake do? Uh, White Snake, what he does is he actually takes like, discs that are embodiments of your stand and memory and takes them away from you. And he can actually give compatible bodies new stands. Imagine if he stole King Crimson. He actually couldn't use Star Platinum. If that gives you any... any um... No, no, no. But I'm saying, what if he stole King Crimson I don't want to think and about gave part... it to someone else? I don't want to think about Part 5 anymore. My opinions on Part 5 have been dwindling ever since I finished that part. Okay, fine. Because I will say that improvements from Part 5, like I said, Jolene is much better of a character. She's a lot more of a combat combative person. Yeah. Whereas Giorno's whole personality is, I have a dream to become a gang star. You guys can't see this, but I'm staring blankly at him. And the thing going through my mind is the meme where it's like, really, nigga? <laughs> really? Like, his whole thing is he wants to topple the mafia because he's upset that drugs are being smuggled. That's his whole motivation, and it's terrible. So moving on. But again, I don't like Part 5 looking back. Like, my, my enjoyment of Part 5 is going down... More and more as I go on, and part six is catalyzing that even more. So what has happened after she gets caught masturbating? Like, where does the plot go? So, like, obviously she's going to get out of prison. So pretty much it's, of course, Jotaro meeting up with her and trying to get her escape via the Speedwagon Foundation. 
bringing a sub to come rescue them, but then White Snake comes and takes his stand and memory disc. And so he is completely out of commission, so she actually has to send him and she has to stay and retrieve it, and it's been her journey fighting other stand users. In the prison? In the prison. And she just, in episode 12, was able to get it to a rescue pigeon, to the Speedwagon Foundation, but just the stand disc, not uh, Jodoro's memory disc. So Jodoro can't memorize who he is. So he's basically pretty much just going to be completely in a coma until she gets the memory disc. Jesus. We do, one other thing I want to praise part six for is the fact that we are actually getting an introduction to the villain proper very early in the series, whereas in part five in Golden Wind, we were introduced to the villain extremely late and barely got any time to develop him. Hell, we develop we got development for his alternate personality, Dopio, before we learned anything about Diavolo. Okay. And so, like, people love Dopio. He like he is like the one of the best second best example on the series of a fish out of water character. Because like he's just a clueless, lovable child, and then he turns into the the uh, head of the mafia when when he switches over to Diavolo. Yeah. And, of course, when he turns into Diavolo, he becomes a lot less interesting. Okay. So, who's the main villain of this? So, it is Enrico Pucci, who is the uh, priest at the Green Dolphin prison. Okay. And so, he actually... And the biggest thing that also keeps me wary of Part 5 is the fact that it has no connection to the Dio versus Joestar uh, uh, plotline. Yeah. Meanwhile, Pucci was actually a follower of Dio. In his early childhood. Okay. Like, Dio goes on about his desire to attain heaven. But not, like, in death, but in spirit. Mm -hmm. So, he was about to test his uh, theory out on how to attain heaven. And then the events of Stardust Crusader happens. And Jodoro completely eradicates all evidence of Dio as a whole. Yeah. And so... Jolene is was actually framed from the beginning to because the murder was intentionally set up to where it would land her in prison for 15 years. Jodoro would come to come and rescue her, thus giving Pucci the ability to use White Snake to steal his memory discs. Ah. So this is just in an elaborate like because Jodoro dis- has seen the book that Dio wrote in describing how to attain heaven. And it's only Jotaro that's seen it? And it's only Jotaro. Because he burned the book. Okay. So he, Pucci is trying desperately to figure out through Jotaro's memory disc what is the way to attain heaven. And so that's why Jolene is stuck in prison. Because it was a whole plot. The murder was um, staged. The um, entire court uh, case was staged thus landing her 15 years in prison when she originally had a plea deal for five years. Damn. So how many years in prison has she been in? Uh, she's only, a f- uh, I think she's only less than a month in at this point. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they are hinting that she may get solitary after escaping to the courtyard to give uh, the Speedwagon Foundation Jodor a stand disc. Mm-hmm. So six months may pass when we get to episode 13. Okay. Yeah. But... Again, I am just enjoying this series overall, because Stone Ocean, people are saying that Stone Ocean is lesser in quality as far as, like, compared to other parts, 
while I see it, I also don't because I'm actually really enjoying the part. Okay. Yeah. And because leave it up to JoJo's to make a game of catch interesting and and full of tension. Oh God! It's like when it's like when Jotaro was playing um that um playing poker. Oh no! The, no, the, the the stand battles against the is I think it's the Darby brothers. Those were those were really tense, especially the poker one, especially. But yeah, no, this one is against the stand Marilyn Manson. Yes, yes. Oh! Hey, Rocky loves his music references. Oh my god, that's so. I mean, it was already blatant with a lot of them, like Santana, and ACDC, and. Fucking Oingo Boingo, but oh my god! I mean, Jolene's stand is literally called Stone Free. I hate myself. Jesus! Man, mangaka are just shameless sometimes. They are just shameless with these names! Oh, just wait until you get to my favorite character so far. But, uh, going on to what I was saying before... And I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about again? Oh yeah, the fight against Marilyn Manson. It was basically a game of catch where you, if you bet, you have to commit to the rules of the bet. Otherwise, your uh, bet is taken, even if it's your organs. What? Yeah. So like, you, so you have to bet something? And if you bet something, thus the the rules of that bet have to be carried out. Otherwise, the bet is taken from you in any way possible, even your personal organs. So it's like you have. I bet you can't catch this ball, and if you do, I'll give you my eyes. So the whole, so the whole premise is: I'll bet a thousand dollars if you can throw that ball a hundred times, and then a thousand times, and it just the money keeps going up and up and up. And once they, she find once the stand user of Marilyn Manson finally got an edge it we organs were stolen well then yeah so when you say organs are stolen like the like are, are you referring is it like how zim from invader zim stole organs like the liver is literally like they punch through the, the body and take the liver out Every day we stray further from God's light. He looks down at us, and he is afraid of what he's created. I will just say, the payoff at the end is really good, because the way they fulfill the final bet is really good. Okay. So I won't spoil that, because the, the, the whole stand battle is actually really good. I also have to question, because another uh, uh, fight was um, against a stand user who can make... Like, make the entire area around you zero gravity and everything you touch. So I have to look up something in science, because I'm very doubtful that it's true. What is? So they use a fact in um, that, because I don't think this is true, is the thing. Is that if you're in zero gravity, your body forces urine out uncontrollably. I don't think this is true. I know it's in the manga, because I've heard this before, before I watched part six, I, but I don't think this is true. 
on some levels, I can see what they mean. I mean, they explained it in a way that makes sense. Like, your body has to expel salt because all the blood rushes to your head. But I don't know if that's how that works. I, I have to look this up because I don't know if it makes sense. But the whole point of the show, of course, is to put characters in wacky scenarios that you wouldn't see in any other anime or manga. Yeah. Which the show accomplishes in every single part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still remember when Jonathan was doing all those jumps in the burning Joestar mansion. I'm like, <laughs> and he's supposed to not be superhuman? <laughs> or when he went into Crime Alley and just, like, made, like, Ario Speedwagon his bitch, basically? <laughs> oh, yeah, let me just catch this uh, bladed hat in my arm. And it's like, <laughs> you're supposed to be dead. Yeah. And our and Speedwagon's only response: Ah, nothing but a true gentleman wouldn't kill his opponents and immediately becomes his best friend. It's like <laughs> nothing but a true gentleman wouldn't kill his opponents. I'm like, I, um, um, he specifically kicked him in a way that wasn't non-lethal. I need to be this man's friend. <laughs> I need to be able to ensure that everything that my fortune makes will forever be accessible to his bloodline. <laughs> I mean, it worked out. He ended up creating the greatest oil monopoly and a research organization that ever lived. <laughs> From just being a petty criminal. Speedwagon is an anomaly. But now I do want to talk about like the main cast we got. Because we got Jolene, who I've also already gone in depth to. We got Hermes, who uh, controls the stand Kiss. Which is basically... So her stand creates stickers in it. Basically, if you put a sticker on something, it replicates it. And once you tear it off, it completely combines them back in a forceful attack. And it has been used pretty creatively, actually. So if I put a sticker on you ripped it off, another you would just slam straight into you? Yes. And it would potentially kill me. That's broken. Yeah, that's pretty dumb. I mean, it's it's basically it's basically predicated on how fast she can do it to you. Yeah. And then Jolene's stand, Stone Free, has the ability to uh, make her stand expel into sh uh, string. And basically she can do with it as she wants. If there's one thing I learned from One Piece, string power is absurdly broken. Oh yes, it is. It saved her on numerous occasions. So I, I, I believe it when you say it's broken. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, there is the stand Foo Fighters, which you're going to have to follow me for this one because the origin of this character is crazy. Okay. Okay. So originally, there was a prisoner named Atro. Okay. So this happened in a plot line where they had to find where... Uh, White Snake was hiding all the uh, memory disks. Okay. So they were out in the farmlands and they had to stay within 50 meters of a prison guard, otherwise, their bracelets that were tracking them would blow up. Okay. The prison guard was dragged down by Foo Fighters. Mm -hmm. And so Atro blew up. Okay. Okay. And so after that, of course, they fight Foo Fighters and win through, of course, you know, JoJo BS. Yeah. And so, of course, as we know with every other Jobro, as soon as you beat them up and beat the living crap out of them, they instantly become your friend. Yeah, it's like a JRPG. Yeah, but here's the thing. 
Whitesnake gave a random stand to a bunch of to one individual plankton and that itself identifies now as Foo Fighters. And then he took the remaining corpse of Atro and thus reassembled her into where she can possess the same appearance as her and now she lives on as Foo Fighters. Able to live inside the prison and help Jolene in her in her quest. Plankton. Yes, an individual plankton. Aren't those things microscopic? Yes. And it has a stand? And it has a stand. Yet fucking Jotaro's mom can't handle a fucking stand! <laughs> Jotaro's mom on the brink of death at the possibility of having a stand. But a fucking plankton can get one? And to be fair, Josuke also fell sick to his stand. I thought it was ridiculous when a fucking baby had a stand. A plankton. You believed a dog could have a stand. Yeah, I could believe a dog would have a stand before a baby would. And most certainly before a fucking plankton. Do planktons even have sentience? Or sapience? This one does now. And she is legitimately the best character. Well, now I know how Plankton can finally get the Krabby Patty secret formula. <laughs> but no, she is legitimately everything Everything everyone loves about Dopio escalated much even more because she isn't human. I'm going to need to see this to believe it. I'm really just going to need to see this to believe this because this is, this is a level of absurdity that I never thought I would hear about in fiction. Like, I thought... When I was watching Lost, the absurdness of half the shit that happens in that show would be the limit of absurdity that I would see in shit. But you just told me that a plankton is able to control a stand. Meanwhile, a grown-ass woman could not. And meanwhile, this plankton was specifically given a stand because its body was compatible with the stand disc that it received. A plankton doesn't even have a... <laughs> I, give up. I, give up. I give up. I guarantee you, even though you are denying all these facts, you will still love Foo Fighters as a character. Because it is the best literal fish out of water character that I have seen, and no one can tell me otherwise. I'm gonna have a fucking aneurysm. <laughs> if you keep telling me this shit, I'm gonna have a fucking aneurysm. <laughs> Dear God. But yeah, I am very happy with what I've seen of uh, Stone Ocean so far. And I'm glad that you are freaking out at every single detail I tell you. On, I am... I... My, my brain hurts. My brain hurts. My brain is bleeding. My, my brain is bleeding. I, I don't know what else to say to that. I honestly don't know. This is almost like when I watched Everyday Bro by Jake Paul for the first time and just had a nosebleed on the spot from how <laughs> I was I was so repulsed by that music video. I started bleeding. Uncontrollably bleeding. This is what it feels like. I guarantee you, you'll still love the show. And I don't doubt that fact. Because it is... This this time the absurdity is taken up 
even even more because you want to know what helps uh jolene get the disc over to the rescue pigeon what is the fact that the stand user of weather report no yeah weather report makes it to where the this uh that frogs are absorbed into the sky and it rains down frogs are the frogs gay <laughs> they're poison dart frogs so they might as well be if they're that colorful oh my god <laughs> did they make the frogs gay <laughs> God. But yeah, all in all, the the first twelve episodes was a lot because it. Thankfully, the episodes are not as long as the Marvel shows that we've been reviewing. Yeah, but honestly, it's pretty much been the highlight of what what um, I've reviewed in the past month because it's it's legitimately enjoyable because. The whole point, like, in order for you to appreciate JoJo's, you have to embrace the absurdity. And this part takes it up several notches. Because, of course, Golden Wind was supposed to be, like, akin to, like, gangster movies. Yeah. And so it was a bit more grounded. This time, it's a prison escape. And they have gone above and beyond with the stand abilities. Like, they are elevating it. And just the fights are nothing like I've seen in Part part 5. Probably they're really akin to everything we've seen in part three and four. Okay. But of course, the stands are a little more complex this time, as of course the series would evolve as time goes on. Yeah. Because the manga was written probably at least a decade after part one was written. Yeah. Yeah. Now imagine if they had Hama with this. Oh, I don't even want to think about that, because most likely Joseph's dead at this point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jotaro. Yeah, Jotaro Jot has a kid now that's 18. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Hamon has pretty much been tossed as a as a power yeah. used in JoJo's. Unfortunately. It's unfortunate, because it was a good power, and it did lead to Part 2, which is arguably one of the best. Yeah. I do wonder. Do you think the Pillarmen could have had stands... Undoubtedly. Without a doubt. That would be so busted. Especially Ultimate Cars. Ultimate Cars with a stand. Oh god. Ultimate Cars King Crimson. No, I don't want to dive into time shenanigans, especially because I know that's coming in this part. Oh god. Suddenly, you see Giorno come out. You see him come out. Who... Giorno has King Crimson, right? No, Giorno has Golden Experience, Requiem. Diavolo has King Crimson? King Crimson, yeah. Yeah, Diavolo comes out of a wall. He's like, it was me. <laughs> I still think it's a missed opportunity that Diavolo was not a DLO. And that's why, I'm, that's another reason. It's like, Part 5 is not connected to the Dio versus Joestar plotline at all. Yeah, because Giorno is... Giorno is just a... a a bastard child of um, Dio's. Yeah, and there's no Joestar, right? Like, he's like, technically a Joestar. Giorno is technically a Joestar to Because the it's Jonathan's body. Yeah, that's pretty much all that it is. Yeah. Like, it's just a random 
It's just a random kid in his uh, mid-teens taking down an entire mafia and it having nothing to do with the Joe, Joe Star versus Dio feud, aside from the fact that there are stands there now. Damn. Yeah, because when you think about Part 5, you really don't think about Giorno. You only think about, like, uh, Bucciarati. You think, like, you think about Dopio. Those are the characters that immediately come to mind because those are the most interesting. Yeah. Meanwhile, I do think about Jolie. I do think about Foo Fighters. I do think about Pucci. I think about, and especially with other parts, you think about Joseph. You think about Speedwagon. You think about Jotaro, about Polnareff, about Avdol. All of the characters are recognizable. You even think about Iggy to some extent. Oh, and Lisa Lisa. And Lisa Lisa. Like, all of the side characters matter. Yeah. Meanwhile, in part five, you don't really think about characters like Abaccio and, and like, Fugo. Especially the story doesn't have any concern for Fugo. Damn. Yeah. Well, I certainly had a lot to talk about this. Yeah, you definitely did, and I'm just trying to say here, I'm like, you need to watch. It. I'm like this, and this man got his art into the fucking lurf. Oh yeah, Rocky is a genius when it comes to art. Yeah, do they still have the impossible poses that would definitely destroy a human spine if anyone else did them? Oh, that reminds me of one part that got cut from part five or part six. So. There is a part where, like, in the main um, episode with uh, the fight against Marilyn Manson, they had to cut out a line because it could be queerphobic. Okay. So, they were, so, like, Foo Fighters has no idea how to throw a ball or how to catch because she only just became human. And so, Jolene yells out to her, hey, you look like a queer. Yeah, that could definitely be that. That 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 definitely would be queerphobic, considering queers being used as a pejorative. So yeah. And but meanwhile, at the same time, she was doing the exact same pose. Did she just? Are you trying to imply that Jolene outed herself? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> Honestly, I think the humor was intentional. I don't think Iraqi was being queerphobic. Oh, I think it, I think he wasn't trying to be queerphobic, but I think it is still queerphobic just because you're using queer as a pejorative. Yeah. So. Like, I think it's, like, the comedy is the fact that she is using the same stance as Foo Fighters and yeah. calling her out. Yeah. But I can see why they especially cut that out. Yeah. They also cut, cut out the trans man. Okay, that's just trans erasure right there. Yeah. We need more trans men in media. Especially because, like, the the inclusion of the trans man wasn't, like, supposed to be, like, transphobic. It was actually, like, Jolene wasn't, like, treating her bad or anything. He's like, her! God damn it. Treating him bad. They My apologies. I forget that this takes in a female-only prison. Please excuse me. I've been using her throughout this whole thing. Yeah. Please forgive me for misgendering. Mis Please joking. forgive me. I'm joking. So... She responds to him by saying, wow, the wonders of science have really gone far. And so it wasn't a transphobic line. The wonders of science, that just gives me 
so much the wonders of German engineering all over again. <laughs> oh, God. The German wonders engineering of German the, engineering. German engineering is the best in the world. That, that's exactly. <laughs> the moment you said that, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> Can you believe he died at the Battle of Stalingrad? Oh, God. I don't want to think about Stroheim anymore. That man would have single-handedly won World War II. Please don't give me thoughts of Germany warring World War II, please. Especially if they've got his, like, teched-up body with his machine gun sticking out of his stomach. Yeah, how did he lose in the Battle of Stalingrad? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This man fought cars. And lived. It's a miracle anyone within spitting distance lived. Yeah. I did like the fake out, because when I first watched it, I was like, oh, I guess the trend is that all JoJo's die at the end of their series. <laughs> no, they were they, they they were playing off of that really hard. Yeah. I mean, they had the whole obituary and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Joseph nearly died twice at the end of two parts. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it would have been really cool to have like a narrative where all jo where all JoJo's die at the end of their part. Yeah, that would have been interesting, but of course we wouldn't get like any JoJo past Joseph. Yeah, and also because we are going to see Giorno at the end of part six. Oh, okay. Only as a cameo, though. He takes a vacation in Florida. <laughs> Which? Why would the head of the mafia take a vacation in Florida? Oh god. I'm trying to think. And then part seven is when they go all universe. Yes. And we get Steel Ball Run, supposedly the best part in all of JoJo's. And then what's part eight called? Uh, Jojolian. Okay. And that one just takes place in alternate Morio. Because part four takes place in Morio, but so does part eight. And the protagonist of part four is Josuke, but protagonist of part eight is another Josuke. That's the show, everyone. <laughs> like, oh, I'm just, I'm just gonna leave that alone. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to bother. But um, Stone Ocean does sound really interesting, though. You should watch it, and as should the rest of you. I mean, JoJo's is one of the greatest animes. And headed by one of the greatest artists of all time. Yeah. I mean, he definitely couldn't be considered one of the greatest modern artists of all time. Especially if you love, like, 80s and 90s music, you're in for a treat because you will get a ton of references, even starting at part one. Yeah. Because... Ario Speedwagon. Because Ario uh, Speedwagon is the name of a band. Yeah. The Pillarmen are named after ACDC, Wham!, and, um... Santana. And Santana and Cars. Yeah. Yeah. And and from part four forward, all the stands are then named after albums, songs, and artists. Yep. So, and I'm sure that you saw that a lot in, the, in this discussion about part six, as a lot of them are. I mean, Marilyn Manson, Kiss, White Stone Snake. Free, White Snake. Jeez. <laughs> It's almost it's almost a shame because a lot of people go into discussion about how they wish that trend started in part three. 
Honestly, it would just be consistent at that point. Because people would, of course, want Dio Stan to be Holy Diver. Oh, God. And, of course, Jotaro Stan to be Ocean Man. But Holy Diver just does not the same ring as Zawardo! Yeah. Uh, just wait until you start hearing Jotaro say it. Oh, God. I saw your face freeze for a moment there, and you're processing Jotaro saying the world. Take us out, please. <laughs> Take us out. <laughs> Take us out! <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, but I am... I'm. So one thing that is weird is that we're kind of left in the dark as to when the next few episodes are going to drop because of course the story does go on for quite a bit longer i mean golden wind was 50 plus episodes 50 yeah Jeez. i mean mind you it was dragged out by a lot of recap episodes i hate those oh yeah golden wind was infested with recap episodes that's disgusting yeah, which is another reason why my hatred for Part 5 is growing more and more as the days pass. Especially when I'm seeing Part 6, and we're getting a much better character. I'm just gonna read the full-color manga. Honestly? Yeah. Honestly, I'm considering on doing that too, honestly. Yeah, I feel like just reading the full-color manga is just the way to go. And especially because, like, I read the first chapter and everything I saw was recapped in it perfectly. Okay. Yeah, like, without variation, of course, missing the trans man and the queer line. But those, of course, were taken out because Jap Japan's culture is a little less progressive. progressive when it comes to things of that nature in animation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just in general, I mean, you saw what happened with Persona 5. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyways, um, I think that's all our segments, right? I think so. I mean, I rambled on about Stone Ocean for more than an hour, so... I mean, it was warranted. Yeah. <sighs> but, yeah, I think this was a good entertainment-filled podcast. Definitely a lot of levity yeah, compared to last week. Yeah, last week we left on a bit of a doomer side, and uh, we just don't like We just don't want that at all, so... Yeah, and this is the 10th episode. So we should celebrate a little bit more. Yeah, it's, wow, it's been 10 weeks since we started doing this. And now we're at 20 subs already. Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. It's been really good. Thank you for showing us love. Please continue to like, comment, share, and follow us on all social media. Of course. And then, of course, as we say every week, you can always catch us every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I've been Coho Sovereign. And I'm Shiny. And we are signing off for the night. Watch Stone Ocean. Have a good one. Good night.